0: Within your Bible this morning, uh, we would direct your attention to two passages. The first one, which we'll be reading from, uh, is found in Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. If you're using your pew Bible this morning, this is on page 1,355. After we read from that passage, we'll also be reading from Ephesians 4, verse 29 through 31. Uh, That's found on page 1,346. And that'll be the words of our text this morning. And a word for those who are visiting, or those who join in perhaps periodically through the radio and the internet ministry, we basically, for the most part, we preach consecutive series of sermons. We pick a book of the Bible, not at random, but in consultation with the leadership of the congregation and in prayer, and we simply move through that book of the Bible section by section. I just want to emphasize that because some might come this morning and say, "Well, uh, why did the minister settle on that text? Uh, why did the minister preach on on that specific passage?" And the answer is because it's the next passage in line, uh, and so we move our way uh, through a series of sermons. And this morning, as we make our way through the book of Ephesians, we come to Ephesians four verses 29 through 31. But to shed some light into that passage, we want to read a parallel passage from Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Uh, There the Apostle Paul writes as follows, "'Continue earnestly in prayer, "'being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, "'meanwhile praying also for us "'that God would open to us a door for the Word "'to speak the mystery of Christ, "'for which I am also in chains.'" that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And then we turn to the words of our text this morning, found in Ephesians 4, 29 through 31. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Thus far, the reading from the Word of God this morning A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I know that this recent weekend we had the opportunity to see uh, a few parades with tulip time. I know also that one of them was canceled. Uh, The other one took place in the midst of what I'm going to call a downpour. Uh, But maybe you had the opportunity to see a parade, uh, and there's many neat entries into the parade. Uh, There are, of course, the floats, there are the bands. Uh, There are the different historical pieces, so to speak, whether it be the old uh, fire engine, uh, whether it be uh, one of the carts from the historical village. Uh, There are, of course, uh, what they call now antique tractors, although when I see them, I don't know that they're so antique. It seems like just yesterday uh, the farmers were using them as they worked their fields. But one of the entries into the Tulip Time Parade that I'm always a bit fascinated by are the horses. Maybe it's because my grandfather was a horseman. Uh, He loved his horses. Boys and girls, maybe you saw the horses that that pulled the uh, chariots, I'm going to call it, or maybe buggies. I I think it uh, contained the the queen and her court. Uh, These rather large animals, these horses. You can see their, their powerful muscles, especially in their legs, as... They prance about as they're eager to pull the carriage down the path of the parade. And you think, how, how can you can control such a large animal? How, how can one person with a set of reins control this large animal? Stopping it turning it and the answer is quite simple and James picks up on this in his epistle by a small bit a small bit that is placed in the mouth of the horse and for the most part with that small bit a person can control a large powerful animal I want to transition from that point of introduction to remind us all of us have the ability to be incredibly constructive or incredibly destructive. You and I, we as individual persons, we have an inherent potential to build up one another to a great extent we also have the inherent potential to tear down one another to a devastating extent. And that power is found in our tongue. That power to either build up or to tear down is found in our speech. And he or she who can control his or her tongue is indeed a master of the potential that they have to either be a force for good or a force for evil. As we continue our series through Paul's epistle to the church in Ephesus, we're dealing in the second part of the epistle with the impact of redemptive grace. Uh, Earlier we've looked at the objective accomplishment of salvation earned by Jesus Christ, applied by the Holy Spirit. But now we're looking at what exactly that looks like in very practical ways. What does the grace of God look like in the heart of a person, in the life of a person? And part of what the grace of God looks like in the heart and in the life of a person is what we call the process of conversion, of being changed, of being turned, from the old way of living life to the new way of living life. And the Apostle Paul is going through uh, exhortation after exhortation, and he's doing so because grace comes through exhortations. God is pleased to use the proclamation of His Word, including exhortations and even admonishments to give grace to the hearts of His people, sanctifying uh, their speech. And so we want to look this morning Uh, underneath this text with this theme death to rotten talk because when the redemptive grace of god is poured out into the heart of a certain particular person that person will be changed and that person's speech also will be changed and part of what will change is that something will be put to death spiritually speaking and what will be put to death gradually but increasingly rotten talk And we want to unfold this theme, death to rotten talk, by first of all noticing the summary of the death, and then secondly the importance of the death, and then thirdly the clarification in the death. So death to rotten talk, the summary, the importance, and the clarification in this death. And we're talking here about a spiritual death, uh, about a death that comes as a result of God changing a person. Something that is rotten is put off. And the summary and our first point of the death to rotten talk can be considered from first of all what should not be said. Very very simply, there are certain things that should not be said, especially by a Christian, by a person who belongs. To Jesus Christ, there are certain types of speech that should not proceed forth from their mouth. Well, what are these types of speech? Bad, evil, unwholesome talk. If you look at our text somewhat carefully, you notice in verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. So what type of speech should not find evidence in the life of a Christian is corrupt speech. Now this word corrupt, literally it means rotten. Rotten conversation, rotten talk, rotten words should not proceed forth from the mouth of a Christian. Now we're not talking here about what we might call barnyard language. We're not talking here about certain vulgarities, although many of those should also have no part in the life or in the speech of a Christian. But we're talking here about rotten speech, which includes unwholesome talk, especially unwholesome talk that tears another person down in the covenant community of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, boys and girls, have you ever gone into your mother's pantry or wherever she keeps the, the bag of potatoes. Uh, I trust that your, your mothers keep potatoes somewhere, being most of us of Dutch ethnicity. Have you ever gone into the pantry and just smelled a foul smell? And have you ever been like, oh, that's disgusting. What is that? Now, oh, maybe you just shut the pantry door and carry on, but sometimes, and this doesn't happen very often, though every once in a while, the pantry will have an odor. And if I'm the one to discover it, I look around, and there's been a few times that the source has been a bag of potatoes. And you look in the bag of potatoes, and most of the potatoes are all good. But near the bottom, sometimes there might be one that just is absolutely foul smelling. It's soft, it's mushy, it's got some black juice flowing out of it. It's just plain rotten. And it stinks. Now, you don't put that potato back in the pantry. If it's me, I don't even put it in the trash in the house usually I go outside and I throw that potato as far as I possibly can throw it. And that's something of the idea here. This rotten form of communication needs to be put off. Notice what the Apostle Paul says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Don't let those words go out of your mouth. Harness your tongue. Harness your speech. There are certain things that should not be said by the Christian. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk. The summary of death to rotten talk can also be considered from what types of communication should be heard among Christians. God has created us in His image, and part of what that means is God has given us the ability, the capacity to communicate in a verbal way. God is a God who speaks, and we, reflecting Him, are also to be a people who speak. So it's not just simply that we are encouraged to never communicate, but rather we are to communicate in the proper way. Don't let the rotten words go out of your mouth, but rather, again verse 29, what is good for necessary edification. So let the words proceed out of your mouth that are good, that are proper, that are beneficial, that are useful for this necessary edification. Notice this word edification, which means to build up, to spiritually build up. And notice also the addition of the word necessary. It is necessary, it is vital that we build one another up because we are not yet to the point of perfection. So you and I, we all come here this morning, and then we come here Sunday by Sunday. We, We continue to live throughout our lives, undergoing this gradual process of sanctification, of growing, of increasing in our knowledge and in our characteristics of being a christian Uh, and this is a process it's not just a one-time thing that is done and along this process god is pleased to use the communion of the saints the unity of the body of the lord jesus christ so that you and i we might impart words one to another that are necessary to build each other up and so your speech is vitally necessary to build up your fellow believer in the faith And so the Apostle Paul says, because there is this need for edification, don't let the rotten, unwholesome words go out of your mouth, but rather let good words, beneficial words, that are vehicles of grace. Think of that for a moment. Vehicles of grace. The last part there of verse 29. That it, that is your good speech, may impart grace to the hearers. I don't know know why this picture comes into my mind when i was young in our town that i grew up in hudsonville michigan uh, there's a railroad track that runs right through the heart of hudsonville michigan Uh, for the most part it carried coal to the coal plant in holland michigan numerous times a day long trains would go through with all of their cars And as anyone who grows up in Hudsonville, Michigan can tell you, one of the things that happens is you get stuck behind the train, at the train tracks. And as a kid, you'd count cars just to pass the time. This was before you had a smartphone in your your hand. So idleness was resolved by counting cars on the train carrying coal. But think of your words like a car of a train. Sometimes we'd count trains, and some of these trains would have up to a hundred cars. Think of how many words you speak every day. A lot more than 100. And now think of what your words carry. Are they train cars, figuratively speaking, filled with grace? Traveling? into the ears and into the mind and into the heart of those whom you speak to? There's also a saying that we learned growing up. The loudest wagons are empty wagons. That's true of train cars as well. But in that context, the analogy was more to what we called gravity wagons. A gravity wagon full of Grain goes down the gravel road, for the most part, rather quietly, but an empty gravity wagon makes all kinds of noise, carrying absolutely nothing. And so are the words, sadly, of many a person. Much noise, very little substance. What about your words? What about my words? Don't let rotten talk proceed out of your mouth, but rather that which is good, useful, beneficial, necessary to carry grace into the heart and into the life of those who hear. The tongue is powerful, and that's why it's so important that we put to death rotten talk in our second point. But notice that the Apostle Paul brings up uh, another point of emphasis found there in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't just drop this verse in the middle of nowhere. It's in its context, so it's intimately connected with our speech. First of all, a few points about the person of the Holy Spirit. You and I as Christians, you and I as those who profess to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ are to put to death rotten speech because of the impact that that rotten speech has on the person of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. We believe there is one only true God, but that God exists, and though so He has revealed Himself as being three distinct co-equal, co-essential, co-eternal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit especially is what we call the agent that applies salvation, that applies redemption, including the agent that works this work of sanctification. Uh, And to do so, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within our hearts, within our souls, within that spiritual element of our very person. Now of course, the Holy Spirit, being fully God, is omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is present everywhere in the entirety of His being and in His person. But He has a unique presence within the heart and within the soul of the Christian. You'll notice this, for example, if you flip back to Ephesians 2, uh, verse 22. Uh, And there the Apostle Paul points out uh, this powerful reality when he says in verse 22, "...in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit." So you and I as individual Christians, but also as a Christian church, uh, our purpose of existence is that we might be a temple of God, that the Holy Spirit might reside within our hearts, fellowshipping with us, communing with us, interacting with us. And part of the work of the Holy Spirit includes what the Apostle Paul says, sealing us, if you flip back to our text, you'll notice there, verse 30, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, we don't use seals a whole lot anymore, although some of you, uh, in a couple of weeks, Lord willing, will, uh, will graduate, uh, and you'll receive a diploma, and on that diploma, there will be a seal affixed to it. Uh, you can think also, perhaps, sometimes uh, you go into uh, the doctor's office, uh, and maybe you uh, hopefully you don't question uh, the validity of your doctor, but uh, if you ever do just kind of wonder, uh, is he a legitimate doctor? Uh, sometimes they'll have their, uh, their doctorate positioned in a place of prominence, and you can say, well, where did he get this? Is it, a, is it a valid, accredited institution? And there will be a seal affixed to it. And so what a seal does is it communicates both ownership, but also validity. And you can put the two together. Validity uh, of ownership. And when God redeems a person, when God saves a person, God gives the person of the Holy Spirit into the heart of that individual person whom God has redeemed as a seal, a seal that testifies that that person is no longer their own but belongs to God. And so the Holy Spirit resides within the heart of the Christian to bring about this testimony. I am not my own. And that includes my tongue is not my own. My words are not my own. My speech is not my own. The Lord is the Lord of all aspects of my life, including my communication. And the Holy Spirit is just that holy Loving only that which is perfectly righteous, abhorring that which is sinful. And here's the connection. If a person who belongs to Christ sinfully engages in sinful conduct, they grieve the Holy Spirit. And by grieving the Holy Spirit, Not that they lose completely the Holy Spirit, but they interrupt the exercise of the Holy Spirit, and they interrupt the experience of that blessed fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And here again, perhaps an analogy is helpful. Uh, Many of us, again with our Dutch heritage, uh, we had mothers, we had grandmothers, we had great-grandmothers who believed, and it's not biblical in the sense that you'll find it in Scripture, but that cleanliness is next to godliness. And I can think of uh, a grandmother in particular, my wife's grandmother, Grandma Van Dyke, and she was meticulous with cleanliness. You walked into her home, there was not a speck of dust anywhere to be found, and everything was in absolute order. Now, Grandpa Van Dyke was different. Uh, Grandpa Van Dyke loved to work in the dirt and carry home most of the dirt in which he worked. And I guess being a stubborn Dutchman, uh, he gave little thought about tracking that dirt into the house. And Grandma Van Dyke would be right behind him, figuratively speaking, with a broom and a vacuum. But at times, at times, Grandma Van Dyke would be exasperated with Grandpa Van Dyke's uncleanliness. They were married for over 60 years. They're both in glory now. Their marriage never failed. But there were times that the uncleanliness of him brought a certain amount of exasperation. To her love of cleanliness. And that's something of what happens when a Christian engages in rotten talk. The Holy Spirit is upset by it, is grieved by it, is saddened by it. And the influence of the Holy Spirit within a person's heart is interrupted. And this applies to sinful conduct across the board. Don't think as a Christian that you can interact in a sinful way without any negative result. The Holy Spirit loves holiness. And if you and I would experience the fullness of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in His internal testimony, bringing about the subject of awareness of peace. Well, let us then be very, very diligent not to let any impure thing enter into our heart or to proceed out of our heart. Do not let rotten words go forth from your mouth, lest you grieve the Holy Spirit. This is why it's so important. Now, but also we want to make just a note of clarification We want to be as clear as the text is. You'll notice that the Apostle Paul in verse 31 comes back to a bit of clarification to describe the rotten talk. Rotten talk is bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. And then there is the root of all of this, malice. So a clarification, what needs to die? These types of unwholesome talk, these types of rotten talk, bitterness, now bitterness is more than a word bitterness is the attitude behind the word uh, to quote one reformed commentator bitterness is the disposition of the person with a tongue sharp as an arrow keen as a razor because some words that are spoken they're like an arrow And not like a kid's bow and arrow. I'm not even sure if they even make these anymore. You know, when I was a kid, we had a bow and arrow, and I had a big suction cup on the end of it. We, We would, down in the basement, we would shoot these things for hours at our mother's wash machine, and it would stick on there. Did no harm, I don't think, anyways. That's not the type of arrow that we're talking about. We're talking about a deadly arrow, the type of arrow that a bow hunter uses that can pierce through flesh, that can cut apart organs, that can bring about death. Some words are like those deadly arrows because they proceed out of an inner disposition of a person that is characterized by bitterness. Keen as a razor, able to stick right into the heart of the person being talked to or talked about. All the words of many, many, many a person have killed many, many, many a reputation. And sadly, sometimes purposely so. The Holy Spirit does not produce bitterness. Bitterness is not a fruit of the Spirit. In fact, bitterness is the exact contrary to the fruit of the Spirit. What is the first characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Love and bitterness are incompatible. And the second characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit? Joy. Joy and bitterness are incompatible. You will not find the two coexisting within the heart of a person, You'll never look at a person and say, ah, that person is a joyful, bitter critic. It's either one or the other. And the Apostle Paul says words that are motivated and even seasoned with bitterness, put them away. Like that rotten potato that needs to be thrown as far away from your residence as you can possibly get it. Because if you take a rotten potato and just put it in the trash in the kitchen, what's going to happen? Every time you walk by that trash, you'll smell that rotten potato. If you take that rotten potato and just put it on the counter in the kitchen, you're still going to smell it. So you need to get rid of it. You need to throw it as far as you can, and, and the attitude and the words that come forth out of bitterness, designed to tear down your fellow man, be done with them. And I say this to myself as well, be done with such communication. It does not glorify God, and it does not edify the hearer. It does nothing but damage, damage to the own person's soul and damage to the other person's soul. And even on practical matters, we've all seen uh, the absolute potential of a positive word of encouragement given to someone in a time of need. You can almost see their face lifted and joy restored as a word of affirmation or a word of encouragement comes. But we've also seen the countenance of people fall because of the negative communication that they've been a recipient of. You can just see the energy drain out of them as they are subjected to bitter speech, to wrath, to clamor. And clamor is one of these words, I know there's a big technical word for it, I can't think of it right now. Clamor is a word that when you say it, it just sounds like what it is. Clamorous speech. Just an aggravating tone. Just a grating upon the ears. Clamor. The Apostle Paul, he speaks by inspiration, but he speaks so precisely, so clearly. Be done with it. No excuses. No exceptions. No self justification. No buts. Just simply be done with all evil speaking, and the malice that lies behind it. Well, why does it need to be done? We've already talked about the influence on the Holy Spirit, so to encourage us to be done with rotten talk. I want to quote from Matthew 12, verse 34b to 37 For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. I want to pause there and say that by and large, your words reveal your heart. And my words reveal my heart. So evaluate your own words because it reveals something about your very spiritual nature. And then Jesus continues, I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Every word which men so often just simply count as amusement or jest, laughing it off. Oh, I didn't really mean that. Yes, you did. That's why you said it. Out of your heart come forth your words, and every idle word men will have to give an account. Imagine how that would transform our speech if we knew that we would have to stand before God And explain why we said what we said. Especially in regards to the nature of what we said. The text continues. By your words you will be justified. And by your words you will be condemned. This is not works righteousness. This is justified in the same sense that James talks about it. That the reality of our salvation, which is received freely of grace, will in a certain measure be evident or manifested by the transformation of our tongues. So the state of our heart is to a certain degree revealed by the condition of our speech. And this, beloved, is why it is so vitally important that all of us hear this exhortation. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. Amen.